6.30 here on the Monday crew here on WRSU-FM. We were talking in the last segment, before we kind of jumped all over the place, uh, we were talking about last night and Rutgers uh, losing to Seton Hall 77-63. Uh, to 63. Um, And, you know, just an unfortunate defeat uh, for the Scarlet Knights. Uh, and now joining us to give us a little bit more insight into what he thought of this game, uh, someone who we like to have on the show as often as we can, uh, the great Aaron Brightman of On the Banks dot com Aaron uh thanks for coming on really appreciate having you on today thanks for having me back Chris appreciate it it's very hard to follow up on beating the number one team in the country at home especially in the fashion that Rutgers did but it's never good to lose by double digits to your rival Seen Hall of course having a very good season this year but I guess when you take the high of beating Purdue and the low of losing to Seen Hall overall how should Rutgers fans look at where the team is after this week? Well, I think, you know, in terms of how they did this week and the last four-game stretch, you know, it was pretty much a consensus that you had to go 2-2 two and two in that four-game stretch, starting with Clemson and then Illinois and then obviously Purdue and Seton Hall. So from that perspective, I think, you know, they did at a minimum of what they had to do. I think the Purdue win was obviously a surprise in that bunch um, and certainly can do wonders for you from a net perspective. Net rankings of long term, that win's going to hold up all season. Of course, you know, the way they started the season, that Lafayette loss is looming large, uh, kind of hovering a monkey on their back that will be there as well. But, you know, in essence, the Purdue win kind of cancels that out. And I think now you look at, um, you know, the Seton Hall win was really important uh, in terms of getting a non conference. Road victory would have been quad one, certainly would have been, um, you know, almost in a way more impressive than Purdue in terms of just the way the rankings shake out, I think, long term. Um, but at the same time, you know, from an actual performance standpoint this week, I think there is a lot to be encouraged by. Obviously, the way they got it out, that Purdue win. Um, and I think there were, you know, yesterday was almost a microcosm of the way this season's gone, where I thought Rutgers looked really good for stretches. And then they also had, you know, some spurts where they, they didn't look too good. And I think you know, the inconsistency has really been the, the biggest theme for me this year so far. And, you know, I think that inconsistency can kind of be summed up in how Rutgers played offensively. Uh, you know, they were really going back and forth, trading blows with Seton Hall in the early going. And then, of course, that 14 nothing run where Seton Hall uh, finally woke up. Neither team was shooting the ball very well in the first 10, 12 minutes of the game. But then Seton Hall uh, got some buckets, some transition buckets, Rutgers coughing up points off turnovers. Um, also, second chance points was an area where they got killed. Um, so I guess looking at that stretch, I guess, you know, what sort of went wrong for Rutgers in that game? Yeah, well, I really looked at it as I thought, you know, Seton Hall's guards put a lot of ball pressure on them. And I, th- I think that Rutgers was starting their offensive sets really high, uh, you know, closer to half court than the three-point line. I think that really caused some problems. They were very reluctant to, to, you know, with ball movement in terms of ball reversals and, you know, making longer passes. They really shortened it up. They were doing handoffs, and um, it seemed like when they were doing handoffs and short passes, they were they were going south, not north, towards the rim. And I think it really caused problems. They got late in the shot clock, and, you know, they ended up settling for contested jumpers. And then when they tried to counter that, they went, you know, isolation. And it really, you know, was no surprise to anyone watching or in the building when Ron Harper was, you know, posting up and trying to get a look. I mean, it was just, it's not really a sustainable offense in that type of game uh, against a team like Seton Hall that, like you said, that 14-0 run, I think it's cliche, basketball is a game of runs, but it's really true. 
Um, and I think, you know, Rutgers was just unable to recover from that run. And a lot of that, uh, I think their problems really stem from rebounding. Um, you know, the, like you said, the second chance points, Seton Hall 11-2 to in the first half. Rutgers did a much better job in the second half, but it was a little too late in terms of them just kind of having that urgency on the boards. And I think that that really was the difference uh, in terms of just rebounding changed the game offensively. Because I thought, you know, first possession, or excuse me, uh, first shot of, of possessions, Rutgers did a great job holding Seton Hall, uh, you know, to tough shots. But it was really Seton Hall just killing them on, on offensive rebounds. And uh, Rutgers wasn't able to match it on their end. Yeah, and, I, and that was something that I mentioned, you know, going to break in the, at the first half of the broadcast last night was the fact that they were getting killed on second chance uh, points in the opening 20 minutes especially. But I guess that leads into my next question, which is, you know, we knew that the front court depth was not going to be quite the same when you don't have Cliff Amore and Miles Johnson on your team. I think that Ralph Agee is someone that Rutgers really needed to step up. And, you know, I, I think Rutgers fans are a bit concerned about that, and obviously so. Um, I guess where do you take stock of the depth in the front court, and is there a way that Rutgers can sort of overcome that? Well, yeah, I agree. It's, it's certainly a problem, I think, you know, defensively, especially, uh, you know, when uh, Cliff is, is not in there, it's a big problem. I, I was encouraged. I liked how Pykele in the second half went with a smaller lineup. And I think that Moat Mag, you know, has been um, obviously a, a great development this season. You know, and he can play in that spot. But I think when he had Harper and Mag in there, along with Jalen Miller, uh, McConnell, and Baker, I, re- I really liked that lineup. And I thought that that was um, a great counter, and it worked for a while. It got, it got that lead down to six points. You know, obviously in terms of matchups, you can't do that against everyone in the Big Ten. But I think that that's something that, you, you know, is, is I, I think, you know, there's – Losses are, are never a good thing, but if you can take certain things from losses that can help you in the future, um, it's always a positive. And I think, you know, that, that aspect to me was something that I think Pico can take from that loss and utilize moving forward. Uh, and maybe it doesn't have to be that same five mix of players that you can move Jaden Jones in there. But I think that they're going to have to, in Big Ten play, um, be able to utilize a smaller lineup like that when Cliff isn't in there, not necessarily going to your traditional five with AG and, and Bieber, um, no disrespect to them, but I think that, you know, they'd be better suited having, you know, Ron Harper and uh, um, Moat Mag, you know, in that four or five spot, and I think it would create some matchup problems, and I thought that that lineup itself had a lot of energy, um, and I, I really like what they had offered, but yes, it's certainly a concern long-term, uh, especially when Cliff gets into foul trouble. I thought his development the last two games um, was fantastic. I thought he's, he's looked like a different player. Uh, he looks like he's starting to really figure it out on both ends of the floor. He still has some problems with, with um, defense in terms of his footwork, and I think he's almost a little timid with fouling sometimes and can get out of position. Um, but I also thought that he really held his own uh, much better in terms of against Purdue, which is really probably the best front court in the Big Ten. And I thought he had some good moments last night, especially offensively. He looked aggressive, and he looked um, a little more diverse in his ability to get to the rim and, and create offense. So, um, you know, yes, uh, definitely a concern, but at the same time, I think they might start being able to figure some things out there as well. Uh, I want to touch on uh, Jaden Jones and Jalen Miller because they both have, um, at least it seems to me like Steve Peichel is more comfortable going to both of them in you know key stretches. I mean, we saw Jalen Miller was on the floor for a good part of the early part of that second half when Rutgers went on that 10-0 run to you know make it a close game for a little bit. 
Uh, and I, I said this, actually said this to the uh, uh, WSOU guys, Seton Hall student radio guys, but it felt like Jalen Miller was guarding whoever had the ball for Seton Hall for like a three-minute stretch because uh, he was just switching on everybody and, um, you know, just being a pest on that end of the floor, I guess. Um, you know, the two youngest, or should I say least experienced guys in the rotation for Rutgers, but it seems like Steve Peichel's trusting him a bit more in those spots. I guess, what do you make of where they are in the rotation now and what could they provide as we get into the thick of Big Ten play in a couple weeks? Yeah, I like both of them. I think they need to play, I think, both for the long term and the short term, but I think that they can definitely help this team now. I think, like you said, defensively, Jalen Miller's a weapon. I mean, they don't have a player like him in terms of being able to just be a bulldog on the ball. And, um, you know, he's, I I think also with the minutes he's playing, and I, I do think he needs a few more. But with the minutes he's playing, he can go out there and be, you know, relentless defensively and just lay it, uh, let it all lay out for 10, 15 minutes a game. He doesn't have to worry about playing 30, 35 minutes a game. So he brings them an edge defensively. I think Jaden Jones offensively, certainly, you know, I, I, I honestly think he's the most talented offensive player. He ha- he's been a little streaky. I think, you know, also getting the flu last week kind of took him out of contention of, of being a factor last week. But they need him. They need him to step up. And, and evolve, and I think that both of them could be key uh, rotational members moving forward. I do think, you know, the bench, Peichel plays a little bit of a hot hand at times uh, in terms of who's having a good game that night, um, but I think both of them could certainly emerge as, you know, in that eight-man rotation. I think they, they, there's certainly room for them, and um, depending on matchups, could have big games, but I think that uh, not only for this season, but I think the future is certainly bright with both of them. On offense, you know, it felt like watching that game, there were stretches where Rutgers, you know, not only struggling to score, but it felt like things sort of broke down into iso ball a lot. It didn't seem like there was always the ball movement that you would want to see from this Rutgers offense. I guess how does Rutgers adjust on the offensive side where, you know, they're a bit more fluid on that end? Well, I thought, you know, the, the ball movement against Purdue was, was really I, not only the best this season, but I, I almost felt like the best we've seen in, in the Peichel era. Uh, it, it was amazing the way they were sharing the basketball and moving it and, and finding open looks. Um, you know, I, I think that Seed Hall, listen, they're an extremely athletic uh, team. Their guards, you know, they're smaller than Rutgers, and I think they were very disruptive. Uh, you know, they get into passing lanes. They made them very uncomfortable. And I think that um, while Rutgers didn't handle it well, I also think that, you know, they're not going to face a team uh, that's as defensively disruptive as Seed Hall. You know, there's a few, but I think that overall, that that was probably one of their toughest uh, matchups from a defensive perspective, uh, defensive opponent uh, in Seton Hall, and I think that it certainly took them out of their comfort zone. Um, you know, I thought at least the ISO, it, it was, you know, uh, there was there was a point to it. I think you know the encouraging part compared to you know some of those bad losses they've had is there wasn't even a point to what they were doing with ISO. They were just over dribbling and taking bad shots. At least they were working with a purpose. Uh, in the offense, and I think that that's improved a lot this past week in both games. Um, but certainly, you know, the lack of, of, of a guard that can create and, and get dri- dribble penetration, we saw Gio do it a little bit. Caleb McConnell's gotten a little bit better with it. Um, I think, you know, it would be amazing if Jalen Miller could become that this year. Um, that might be asking a little too much, but I think that's certainly where they run into trouble against defenses like that that put a lot of ball pressure on you, and they're really unable to counter with dribble penetration. 
based on what you've seen so far and the way that this team is trending, you know, barring, you know, another major slip up in the last three non-conference games, uh, all against quad four opponents, but assuming Rutgers takes care of business on that end, what do you anticipate the outlook being for this team in big 10 play? And where does that, where does that translate into the postseason? Well, that's a great question. I think, you know, it's, um, I, I've seen a lot of uh, despair today uh, with how, the, you know, losing Seton Hall means that the season's over or close to it. I, I, I don't look at it that way. Um, I think that the real positive here is that there's a ton of opportunities still on the schedule. You have 18 Big Ten regular season games left. You know you have a Big Ten tournament game uh, on the schedule, whoever that may be. Um, you're already one-on-one with beating the potential favorite of the conference. So, um, as disappointing as non-conference play has been, I think that, you know, they, they have the opportunity to make up for, for it. Um, you know, can they go 13-7, and 14-6? That's probably unrealistic. Um, but I don't think the Big Ten is, is at a point where Rutgers can't win 10-plus games. And I think if you do that, you give yourself a chance going into the Big Ten tournament to qualify for the NCAA tournament. And I think that's, that's the real key. I mean, if you look at January – I don't look at that schedule and see a game that's not winnable for him. Even Michigan at the rack to start the year, Michigan does not look great. Uh, you, you know, at some point, Rutgers is due to beat Michigan and at home start the year uh, to resume Big Ten play. Certainly could be an opportunity for them to do that. And then you have Nebraska twice. You have Penn State, uh, Maryland twice, who certainly is, you know, not going to be easy, but certainly not, um, you know, a, a top four team in the conference. Even Iowa is at home. Uh, Minnesota has, you know, beat Michigan, but um, that's a game they can win. Uh, And then you have Northwestern. So I think, obviously, getting into the new year and taking advantage of those first eight Big Ten games, if they can go 6-2 and in that stretch and they're 7-3 and midway through Big Ten play, they they have a shot. And I think if you get to 11, uh, maybe even 12 wins, you're going to finish in the top half of the Big Ten. And I, I got to believe, regardless of that Lafayette loss and their non-conference, if you finish in the top half of the Big Ten, you're going to make the NCAA tournament. And I think Rutgers can do that. They really do. All right, Aaron Brightman of On the Banks. Always great having you on the show. Thanks for spending a few minutes with us. Thanks so much, Chris. Appreciate it. All right. Always great talking to Aaron, um, giving us some insight on what happened last night against Seton Hall. Where does this team stand ahead of Big Ten play? A bit of an optimistic note on you know what Rutgers has to do uh, in order to make, um, you know, potentially get themselves back in the NCAA tournament conversation. A lot of basketball left to be played, 18 Big Ten games, and then, of course, the last three uh, games coming up in December in the non-conference slate. But uh, plenty of basketball left to be played for Rutgers, so we'll just have to wait and see how that transpires.